0: We're going we're gonna to go ahead and get started. We're in James chapter 5. <clears throat> and like all good things, it'll come to an end. We're going to finish the book of James today. Um, if you have uh, missed, missed them or you want to go back and review them, they're all on our website. You can find them on um, different podcast platforms. That's not because we're fancy. Um, That's because um, we realize the nature of what the pandemic has done and different schedules. um, And we always just want to be able to put faithful preaching and teaching out there. Um, To me, how it gets out there seems like a little bit of witchcraft. I don't understand all the technology. Um, That's why I'm thankful for those who do. Um, But I'm thankful for the fact that there are those who follow Christ who want the Word and they want it in depth. They, they don't want to just uh, have a, a cursory overview of here's what this means, but but you know what I know. These are the very words of God, and if we love God, then we would love the things of God, and and I just go back to uh, whenever uh, Chas and I started dating, we actually have this book, and we still have it. It's We keep it in our fireproof safe. Uh, it's kind of funny to open it, but we would write in this journal back and forth because she was gone to a camp for a while, and we, you know, of course, and for good reasons. We lived in different apartments while we were dating, so I mean, like we would. This is the book that we would exchange, and so you go back and you read, and it's kind of a story of how everything began. And so there's like inside jokes in there, but but we loved to write to one another, and we loved to read what one another wrote to each other because we loved the person on the other side. Right, the, the words were communicating what she wanted to say to me and what I wanted to say to her. And we have this book, and you can open it, and I'm, I'm in there with really long, shaggy hair and, and a goatee, and, a, a, you know, and we look young. She still looks young, and, uh, but we look uh, young, and the words are fresh, and they're true, and they're for one another. And my point is this God did not have to provide the Bible for himself. He gave it to those whom he loved, right? He wanted to communicate who he was and his affections and his heart for those whom he has redeemed so that we can know him. So I think that as people of God, we should hunger and thirst, like the rest of the verses, for his righteousness, but we should hunger and thirst for, for his word because his word is what he moved men to write so that we can know him more. Does that make sense? Like I read her words always eager to see what she had written because they were written by her and to me so that I can know how she felt more. I can know God more by pushing into his word. And so that's what we do. And that's why we preach the way we do. Uh, I am uh, kind of excited to be finishing the book of James in one sense because there's yet another book that God inspired and yet it's and we we try to make sure that every word is read. We don't necessarily preach every single word because some of those little words are just like chaining the other thoughts together, but we have read those words out loud. They have been heard and the word of God is always faithful. It's always true and it will do the work it is meant to do. So, we proclaim and we preach in this way, systematically. Um, going through so that you and I are shaped for God, by God, and by his word. So that one day when we stand in his presence, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So here's what James has at the end. You know, all all the titles, by the way, have been kind of like, you know, faith and favoritism, faith and, and the tongue, faith and wisdom, faith and boasting. This one is called faith and a few other things, right? This is... This is, you got to the, the end of the book, and James is finishing up, and he's like, by the way, don't forget, bam, 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 real quick, and then he drops out. Like, we're, we're used to Paul saying, you know, my farewell, and, and remember me, and such and such, that James doesn't. He runs out of time, is basically, no, I'm joking. <laughs> that's not theologically correct. But that's what it kind of feels like at the end. It's is kind of like a, a buffet real quick of, hey, you remember this, this, and this, and then he moves on. Okay, and then next week, we're going to start the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And so we're going to be looking at the beginning of all things, and and all things literally in what we believe theologically as well. All right, so James chapter 5, 12 through 20, the end of James says, But above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that's the end of James. Okay, so faith and a few other things. First thing that we're going to look at, um, oaths or promises, and then he talks about uh, prayer and then those who wonder. Like those are, that's kind of the the few other things that, that are here. So what does James tell us concerning oaths and promises? He writes, but above all my brothers, do not swear. So do not make an oath, do not promise either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay, so we're not talking about swearing uh, with our tongue like cursing. That was, that was a, a few weeks ago. This one is basically, um, I, I kind of look at this one and go, okay, so what's the big deal? I think that's how we need to approach this one. What's the big deal with the promises? What's the big deal with making or taking an oath And it really just comes down to this, that the the tenor of our lives, we should have such integrity and truth in our lives that whenever we say we'll do something, we do it. And if we say we're not going to do it, we don't do it. It all really comes down to a matter of integrity. And you know what? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said the same thing. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, here's what Jesus said. Again, you have heard it said to the ancients, do not break your oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, I, Jesus, I tell you not to swear at all, either by heaven, because that's God's throne, or by the earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king, which is him. Nor should you swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. So simply let your yes be yes and your no be no anything more listen to this, comes from the evil one. So even Jesus said, simply say yes, simply say no. And the context of all that Jesus is saying is because you really have nothing else that's yours that you can control or that you can um, basically vouchsafe for that gives you any authority to make your yes any more powerful or your no any more powerful. I mean, I remember whenever uh, we were little, we'd say, um, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a, sorry kids, stick a million needles in my eye. Like that was the, the saying, you know. So, uh-huh, I promise. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a million needles in my eye. We were never going to put a million needles in our eyes. We, we could not control, like in that moment, like that we were going to die. It was basically a way of trying to convince other people that we were saying something more true because our yes wasn't powerful enough or our no wasn't powerful enough. And James says, That when we have genuine faith, our lives are so radically different that whenever we say yes, people know that it's going to happen. And if we say no, they know it's not going to happen. So that's what James is pushing us towards. He's not trying to set an unrealistic standard. He's establishing the standard of Jesus. Whatever you say you're going to do, do it. Um, I think whenever we feel, uh, whenever we feel others uh and that that distance between whenever we say we feel that impulse as let me say we feel that impulse to to say yes I promise um promise on on we used to also say back in the 90s I, I promise on my mom like because nobody touches mom right when you say that on Mother's Day but we would say that as well and it really shows a lack of reliability in others and so that's kind of the tenor. That's why it's such a big deal. Um what I want to encourage you with is simply this. I'm going to make a, a beeline for Jesus right now. Okay, so let your yes be yes, your no be no. That's what it should be like. Listen to a really cool verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. As we talk about promises, I just want you to tug this one back. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory for God. That's just cool. I mean, we want to sit there and say, um, nothing can separate from the love of Christ. And we're like, amen, that's awesome. And, and he's for me and not against me. And he is carrying me home and he will wipe away every tear from my eye. Every single promise of God has their yes in Jesus. That's what scripture says. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the reason for every single promise that comes true in the life of a believer. right? We've tried to preach in such a way that Christ is exalted in every single sermon, but I want you to get that that's how important Christ is, that every promise of God that he has made from beginning to end that we take great hope in Finds its yes, finds its assurance in Jesus Christ. If you ever doubt the promise of God, then look to Christ and you will see the fullness of it. So everything in all of creation is his. Everything in all of creation from beginning to end, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, every, every king and principality that has ever existed is all for his glory. And that God is the one who says, and I am moving on your behalf and you know I am because I've given you Jesus. Anytime our faith becomes uh, something other than about Jesus and it becomes about needing to see, God, I need you to do this over here so that I know that this promise is true and I need to see you do this. And God, if you would just do this so that I know that this is what you mean, like that's a human way of us searching for the assurance of God. And it absolutely forgets the promise that we have Jesus Christ. And if we have Jesus Christ, we have all the assurance we need. For everything that we do not know, we do know Jesus. And we know that the shepherd never leaves his sheep. And that's why, y'all, that's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we show up for church. That's why we go serve others as we leave this place. Because Jesus is worth it. He is absolutely foundational to everything that we need. Okay, so point one is already done. Wasn't that fast? Didn't expect that, did you? He says another thing. So he's already said something concerning prayers and oaths. He says something concerning faith. I'm sorry, concerning uh the prayer of faith. Take a look at verses 13 through 16. And uh and here's what you're gonna here's what you're gonna see. The prayer really should be the common, the normal response to every circumstance. That's the first thing you're gonna see. Whatever it is we do, whatever it is that comes our way, our first most natural response should be prayer. And then, number two, prayer is powerful. Prayer stops the natural occurrence of seasons and weather patterns that God has produced. So, there is power in prayer. Listen for this Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So let, let's just stop right there. Here's the pattern, right? Our natural response, our most common response, no matter what comes our way, should be that we pray. And, and that's the pattern. Like, are you suffering? Whether by health, whether by circumstances in life, whether, whether mentally, spiritually, physically, are you suffering? Pray. Pray. That's what James says. Whatever it is, whatever your suffering is, pray. And actually the word there for suffering um, is the same word that it used for suffering. And the, in our last message, we talked about um, consider as an example of suffering and patience, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, the same word for suffering for the prophets and all that they endured with ridicule, mockery and things being out of their control. and I mean, the target of persecution, the word for suffering there is the same word for suffering here. Are you suffering? Are you in any affliction? What we should do is pray. Second thing he says is, are you cheerful? Praise. We've done this really weird thing in our churches where we say, and I do this too, because how we've been raised. Are there any praises or prayer requests? Right. And we, and I get the heart of it. We should be praising God for what he's done. It says to do that. But what, what I have a problem with is we seem to have separate praise and prayer. All, all acknowledgement and recognition of the good that he's done towards him, by him, for him, and of him, that's all still prayer. So whenever we say, are there any praises and prayer requests, we could basically be saying, what do you want to talk about in prayer as we go to our king? That's what he's saying. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Pray, is what he's saying. You're just going to have a prayer of praise, and here you're having a prayer of of, of, of need. Um, you might have a prayer of intercession, but are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Pray. Are you sick? Well, call the elders, and they're going to be praying. So in every circumstance, we pray. Now, for elders, think back, and definitely go back to Titus. We, we preached through... Titus. You can see it in First Timothy also. Remember, elders are the biblically qualified leaders of the church. Scripture has already said very clearly, here's who should lead the church. Here here are the qualifications of an elder. And we take the word elder, and even though we don't use it in many churches, it's just a side note. um, We translate that word to be pastor, bishop, um, overseer, and elder. So if you're sitting in a church and they use the word pastor, they're using the they're going right back to 1 Timothy. The original word was episcopos and we translate it several different ways. So if you are sick, then call the pastor, the bishop, the, the leader of the church, and let them pray over you, and they will anoint you with oil. And now but now here's the thing it's not the oil it's not the medicine that saves look at the very next one look at verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up so it's not you know which oil did they use which medicine is most effective you know whenever we're praying for the sick we're praying that the doctors have wisdom. We're praying that they have keen insight. We're praying that they are very meticulous and that God is with them. But we also know that if we're not praying for that person to be healed, then you know what? We're missing it. We need to, as we pray for the sick and as we pray for the doctors that have keen insight, God will use them with, with by his wisdom. But we are praying that the one who holds all health and life in his hands and who determines the number of our days, we're praying that he will be the one who heals them even through a doctor. So it says, call the elders, call the leaders, let them anoint you, but let them pray. And James says, in case you missed it, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It will comfort the suffering and it will articulate praise that is befitting to God. Whatever circumstance you have in life, may you pray. May I pray. And and here's my concern, church. I'm glad it's in our passage because I fear that as a church, not necessarily as Cross Life, but as a church with a big C, like the universal church, I fear that we've forgotten not only how to pray, but simply to pray. It's it's really hard for people whenever you say, hey, will you pray? It's, It's actually pretty common that people are scared to pray because we've forgotten how to pray. But I think more important than we forgot how to pray is we forgot that we must pray. So I want to encourage you, the scripture says, even when we don't know how to pray, the spirit is within us, interceding for us with words too deep for groaning, or groaning with words too deep for understanding. Either way, the spirit is within us, so you might be offering up the smallest and to you the weakest pitiful prayer. It's all you can get out. You don't even know how to pray for this, but you are there and you are trying to lift whatever it is you can up to the Lord. And it says that the spirit is within you, interceding with words so deep and with emotion and understanding that you and I can't even understand it. When we go to God in prayer, there's the physical thats that we're trying to come to God, but then there's a the spiritual where the deep within us is already crying out to the deep of God and it is interceding for us. You don't have to know how to pray, you just have to pray. I mean, the simple prayer of the kids, Lord, thank you for my mom today has such depth whenever the spirit is within them, that though they say, thank you for my mom today, that the spirit, uh, I'm just thinking of Jackson because he's a young believer for everything. He doesn't know how to pray the spirit of infinite existence and value and worth and depth and all wisdom is interceding from his heart to the throne of God. We don't have to always know how and what to pray. We just simply have to pray. And that's why James says, whatever it is, pray. It'll comfort the the suffering. It'll it'll, um, give the the articulation of praise to God and it will heal the sick. One of the sad things for me is uh, in my short time, and I I know some of you have seen this play out over the, the course of years more than I have. We used to have things in churches called prayer meetings. Like there was... The church gathering and then there would be prayer meetings and those things used to fill up and now prayer meetings number one usually aren't on a church calendar anymore i think that there's good and bad to that all right i think that i think that prayer should be so in the life of the church that we don't have to have a prayer meeting that's designated simply to prayer at the same time, I think we need prayer meetings again because it's a time whenever we say, you know what, we need absolutely nothing else except to come here and intercede for the lost and for one another and come before our King. We have no other agenda except to come together and with a common voice, pray to our God. So there's good and there's bad. But prayer meetings and times of prayer, those are the things that get choked out of our day. You get 15 minutes tomorrow, right? So you, somehow there's 15 minutes in your day and there's time what are you going to do with your 15 minutes? What I normally do is I say, well, I can, I can go to the words and then I'm going to throw a prayer on at the end of it, right? And I think that there's some, some worth to that. But I also think that in our estimation that too is sometimes those 15 minutes, this isn't heresy, they don't have to be 15 minutes in the word. Maybe it needs to be like two to three minutes in the word and 10 to 12, 15 minutes in prayer. Even if you aren't saying anything, you are humbly before God saying, I have absolutely nothing else that I know to say except that you are worthy for me to pause. So I wanna encourage you, pray in every circumstance. And I'm looking around the room and you have, we have such a wide variety of circumstances. And I'm thinking of those who are not able to gather with us this morning. And and those are all for good reasons, but they have a wide variety of circumstances. And James says, whatever your circumstance, pray. Y'all, the centrality of prayer I'm afraid, is lost, and with it has gone the power of the church. The church that will not pray is a church that refuses to be connected to God, and there is a loss of power there. So y'all, work with me on this. May we be a church that learns how to pray again. It's something we long for. It's something that we find opportunity for, that we are not just someone who says we love to pray, but we're a church that prays. And we want to keep finding ways to do that. But the creator God of all of existence bends his ear whenever his children cry out. So I've used this analogy before, but but just again, moms, you know, uh, it can be the middle of the night. The house is dark. You've been in a deep sleep and your kid doesn't even have to cry out loud. They can be in their room and just say, Mom, I know this is a dad because I've heard that. I mean, they're not even yelling. It's just, Mom, And you hear their voice and it pulls you up and you know immediately who they are and you're immediately for them in that moment. So is the God of all creation. Like in all the chaos and darkness of whatever it is that you may walk through in life, all you have to cry out is Father. You don't have to like yell it out. It can just be God. And he's gonna bend his ear to hear you and he will walk alongside you. Your God, the Father, knows who you are as his child. That's why you pray. So take great comfort in that. I hope we should pray, y'all, because God so readily listens. It's Satan who says that you don't have the right prayer. It's Satan and yourself that tell you that he doesn't care what you have to say. None of that is from God. God says, tell me everything because I care for you. All your anxieties, your worries, your fears, cast them on me. Quit carrying them. They were never meant for you to be able to, or for you to carry them. Cast them on me. I care for you. Just tell me. So in all circumstances, y'all pray. I do want to look at this, this, this phrasing. And it says, and if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Right after it talks about the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It then says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That just seems like an odd thing that we do need to look at real quick. I'm going to actually have you turn to Corinthians chapter 11. Because this fits in with the, the Lord's Supper that we're going to observe here in just a little bit but corinthians chapter 11 oh my goodness trent i'm thinking this is gonna be first corinthians first First corinthians okay and has got me right here i feel like every time i say corinthians trent usually knows the address of it like immediately okay thank you andy so first corinthians you know my bible i just put them together equal weight they're both winners to me (laughs) corinthians 11 verse 27 to 32 I think this is going to help us understand what James is getting at. Paul is talking about observing the Lord's Supper in this context. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and then, I'm sorry, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks, listen to this, a judgment on himself. 30 is just, verse 30 is hard. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So put that all in context again, verse 29. If anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why some of you Corinthians are weak and ill, and some have died goes on it says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What's being said there? That you and I can live in such a way and follow and live out sin in such a way that the Lord will and can and might possibly make us sick or let us die. It's his judgment on us. That doesn't match up with the Oh, well, the Lord's all love. The Lord would never punish people. The Lord would never discipline. Oh, no, he's a good father. What does a good father do? A good father disciplines. A good father gets the attention of his wayward kids, and he will discipline them for their good. And in Corinthians and in James, he's basically pointing that out. He says, you know why some of you, back in James chapter 5, I'm sorry, you know why some of you are sick and that you need to call the elders and have them pray? because you're living in a way that is not in line with God. It may be that you're sick because you're living in sin. That matches up with scripture. It is a loving God that will discipline us and get our attention so that we do not pursue sin in such a way that we live for ourselves and not for him. Because if he is our greatest delight and pleasure, then he's gonna make sure that we're focusing and turning back to him. So that's what he means right there is that we can sin and whenever we sin, I'm sorry, we already know we can sin, that, that we will sin, we know that, but we can sin also in a way and God can discipline us, discipline us in such a way that he affects our health. Why? So that we turn back to him, the greatest delight and pleasure. And that's where verse 16 comes in. Everybody knows verse 16, confess your sins to one another, right? That's the one that we're all pretty used to. I say, say everyone. It's pretty common in churches. What's the context of it? It's in the context of a community of believers that pray with one another. That's who we confess our sins to. We don't just go confessing our sins to everyone. No, it's because we could be suffering in many situations or we could be praising in many situations. It's because we can grow sick because of our sin and that we can be forgiven. And so therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray Why? So that you can be healed. There's the context of the verse. I'm not saying we've misused it for years. I'm just saying, to me, it helps a whole lot to know the context. He's not just saying it flippantly and throwing it out there. He's saying that there should be such a community of prayer, such a unity, that whenever we're praying for one another, that we can confess our sins to one another. We're not confessing to get the burden off of ourselves. We're confessing for for our health. We're confessing so that we don't get caught up in this sin. We're confessing to someone who's going to pray for us, in other words. That's it. So pray, confess your sins, absolutely. Uh, A good paradigm that I was given a couple of years by a mentor was um, confess private sins privately, confess public sins publicly. Like, Do I bring this one to the church or do I go over here to the leaders and this is private or with this prayer group? Uh, confess private sins privately, confess public sins publicly. But you also need to know that what is done in private will be made public because God will not allow sin to remain in His His uh, His children. But because sin can affect our health, James says, "Would you please confess your sins so that you can be healthy and healed?" Like you can remove this one. I want to encourage you in this before we uh, before I move on, y'all. Secret sin. The reason it needs to be confessed is secret sin will rot your joy and steal your peace. It absolutely will. If you've ever clung to secret sin, you know what it does within you. It will steal your joy. I'm sorry. It will will steal your joy and your peace. It will cause this this spiritual rot within you. And, And that's why you've got to root that out by confession. Because Satan will tell you that you need to hold on to your sin because it's yours. Right? That's your sin. Nobody else needs to know about it. It's your sin. You know what scripture says? Your sin is not who you are. It's not your sin. You need to get rid of that sin. So tell somebody else because there's a great humbling whenever you confess your sins. And whenever you confess your sins, no longer can Satan keep that so bound up within you because you're taking action to remove it. But Satan will tell you it's your sin. Tell nobody else. It's fine. You can work this out. And scripture says, oh, you should confess your sin so that you can be healed. I wonder how many, how many saints, how many Christians are suffering right now because they just won't confess their sins and let it not be theirs anymore. So confess your sins. All of this, everything has been bound up in prayer. So if we know that's true, then why don't we pray as we should? I think it's, I don't think that we really believe in the prou- that the power of prayer works the way that we think it should. Sometimes we know we should pray, but then we're also going but why don't we pray and do this, right? Just kind of hedge our bets over here in case the prayer doesn't work. But I I don't know if we really believe, myself included, in the power that works through prayer. But if we are praying, we're not praying to a distant God. We're praying to the God who holds all things together and who gave us Jesus in whom are all the yeses of God. I think that I don't think that we really know that God truly does care to hear our every constant prayer. I think that sometimes we feel like we're bothering him and we're kind of nagging him and we're kind of like, God, it's me again, right? That's how we kind of start that prayer. Oh, we, we think of God like we think of ourselves. Moms, how many of you time, how many times have you, whenever they say, mom? You go, yes, dear. That's not God. He's not you and he's never been like you and he's never gonna be like you. He's so much better. He's what we need. He says, pray without ceasing because he wants you to pray without ceasing because he never tires of hearing your voice. I think we just forget that. We forget that he's the one who said pray without ceasing. He's the one who says, come to me all of you who are weak and weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's that God. And then, I don't think that we really have prayer set as our default response as believers. Those are, those are my three things. Why don't we pray? I don't think that it's like our default. I mean, like whenever he says, are you suffering, pray. Are you cheerful, pray. Are you sick, pray. I think we kind of go, are we suffering? Oh, man, this is probably brought, I mean, we begin to rationalize. Prayer becomes the last option. We're really good at praising him. God, thank you so much. But then whenever we get sick, we, we want to work through a process as well. Y'all, May we suffer well. And you know how we begin to suffer well? We orient towards God. Whether we're sick, we're praising, we're suffering. All that we do, we pray. And then it gives us the example of Elijah, which I'm not going to break down because it does a great job. Just listen to it. The context, the reason he's giving it to us is this. That Elijah, these prophets, the ones that God used throughout all of Scripture, Paul and Peter and Timothy um, and, and Elijah and Isaiah, all of them are just people like you and me. But he says, look at Elijah. <clears throat> Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Why? Because, because of the polar axis shifting, because, because we've destroyed the world in such a way, because we've implemented, we understand... Um, all the all the meteorology, like because we can read weather. No, it didn't rain because he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And his he has the kind of a uh, faith in prayer that has great power as it is working. you know, the prayer of a righteous person. We have been made righteous by Christ. Our prayers, I always heard it, availeth much. Availeth much. The prayer of the righteous availeth much. This says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that? Like as you pray, there is great power. Elijah, through his prayer, stopped rain for three years and six months. And he had a nature like ours. Problem's not with God. The problem is we just need to pray. Genuine faith, y'all. It will result in constant prayer and response to every circumstance, is what James is telling me. He's saying, hey, do this. In every circumstance, pray. I'm not saying get face down 20 minutes every time you take a step in life. I'm just saying, let it kind of be just this, this dialogue that you're constantly having in your brain all throughout the day. Okay, the last thing concerning a wondering brother. <laughs> My brothers, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Then let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay. Here's the problem. I'm gonna tell you the problem that we have with, with verses like this. Look at who James is writing to. He is not writing to the world. He is writing to brothers. He is writing to believers. He is writing to the church. And this is where we can start to split hairs doctrinally and i think we absolutely miss the point it says my brothers my believers in christ if anyone wanders from the truth that's the problem there are churches well if you're a true genuine believer you can't leave the truth okay that's that's one camp that if you make a profession of faith you have to be saved you can't you can't not be saved anymore Then there's other camps. I just like the word camps on this. There are other camps that say, absolutely, you can leave your faith. And you know what? Except for that one point, these churches hold pretty much everything else in perfect unity. But because of this one point and hard doctrinal lines that we don't understand. Okay, let's get down to it. We really don't know the mystery of how this all works out. Why do I say that? Because scripture shows that there are, and I'm going to give you a couple, that there are those who did great work from God and yet departed the faith. And then there are verses that say that there is nothing that can separate us. And it says that we've been given the Holy Spirit, which, quote, seals us until the final day whenever we are with Christ. Both truths seem to exist in scripture. And we sit here and we argue about mysteries that we don't understand. So here's my point. Here's the heart. Is that we need to assume that as you and I walk alongside one another and say that I'm a Christian, we need to have such faith in the other's profession of faith that when we see that person sliding or or moving away, we're going after them. This mindset of, well, that's their faith and they can do with it whatever they want and that's between them and God is not biblical at all. That's the problem. The problem is that there should be a community of believers that when we see one another sliding, we are there fighting for one another with everything we've got. I am one who, Brian's Brian's right here, so I'm just using, using Brian. But I am one that is more prone to whenever, if I see Brian moving away, I'm one who's more prone to Let's see how that goes for him. I mean, it's Brian's life, that's his faith. I have to catch myself, I'm just being honest. That's kind of how my brain is wired. And I have good friends who are, they see Brian take a misstep, they're like in Brian, they're texting, Brian, what's going on right here? I think that they're a whole lot more right than I am. And I think that we've got churches that worship everything absolutely true and the same, except that they, they make big deals out of, out of this one issue that really in scripture, scripture seems to be a mystery. Do I believe that we can be sealed until the final day? Absolutely, it's scriptural. Do I believe that that there are those who who are in the church and and then walk away? Absolutely, it's scriptural. Was their faith authentic? That's not my job. I can't see a heart. I can't understand or gauge authenticity. What I can know is what God has shown me, and that is if you see a brother, someone who professes Christ, and you see them wandering from the truth, and we bring him back, then it says that we have saved a sinner from his wandering. There is an aspect to the authenticity of faith. That someone who's willing to go live like the world and deny the faith, there does seem to there needs to be a question, not for us to answer, but it needs to be a question for that person of was my faith ever real or not? We don't get to tell them yes or no. We get to come alongside and try to bring them back. Right? All quibbling and all fighting aside the doctrinal truth. Is that God has saved us and we are still prone to wonder. We even sing it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Oh Lord, take my heart, seal it for thy courts above. It's one of my favorite hymns because it's so true. Second Timothy four-two. I, I want you to see see these real quick. Second Timothy four-two. All right. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So here's Demas. By the way, he was mentioned in Philemon and Colossians, a fellow worker, co-worker with Christ, working in these churches, doing kingdom work, and Demas leaves him because he's in love with the present world. Can you imagine what kind of hurt that would cause? I mean, it'd it'd be like just looking at one of you, and and all of a sudden you said, you know what? I'm renouncing the faith and, and I'm done. Like it, it just didn't. I thought it was real, but I realized that my faith was never real. I don't even know if God exists anymore. And I'm out. And we we just sit here and go, Well, that was a shocker. I must not have been a genuine believer. No. He sees Demas, who's worked alongside him. We see his name in Philemon and Colossians, and Demas deserts Paul. First Timothy um, chapter one. Paul writes this chart in verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophe- prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And then listen to this, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may not or that they may learn not to blaspheme. Two brothers, that Paul says they have been alongside me, and yet they've begun to blaspheme the Lord. They've made a shipwreck of their faith, and I've cast them out. So it happens. And James says, "A hey, church believers, when you see that someone is seemingly denying their faith, bring them back into the fold, and in doing so, you are covering their sins." So, just very clearly, I do have a, I do have a very strong bent towards the doctrine of election. If if you've walked life with me, you know that. I am the sovereignty of God in all things, including um, salvation. At the same time, there is a great mystery in the allowance of free will uh, or free response that God gives within that that we can't figure out. And so I'm saying that to say, we can sit here and evaluate the doctrines of free will and election and totally miss the point why people are going to hell. That's not what it's supposed to be about. Election should humble us. Election should show us that there's a God who's moving for us. It should be one of those where we step back and say, Oh my God, what grace you have for us, not look at me, pounding our chests. I am the frozen chosen. I am elect and I'm definitely going. Like none of that reflects, I believe, what election really looks like in Scripture. So may we be so mindful of one another that it does ping in our minds. And we think, there goes Demas. He's in love with her, and we, we go after him. Like, we go after him in prayer, because we're going to be suffering as we see a brother walk away from it. We go after Demas. We try to bring him back. All throughout scripture, God's salvation is immovable to the degree that I think that the regenerate Christian is sealed by the Holy Spirit. But it may also be this truth, too, that maybe it was a superficial profession of faith, and that by stepping into their lives, they make a genuine profession of faith. We don't get to be flippant. We don't get to flippantly walk somebody, walk away from the faith. It's not scriptural. Go after them, y'all. So all doctrinal disputes aside, I believe that this is what James is saying, so I just wrote it. If there's one who professes to be a believer and yet you see him or her falling away, bring him back. Do not let them wander away. We can sit back and judge the authenticity of their faith or we can save a drowning man so that he may not die. Let God judge the authenticity of their faith. That's not our job. Our job is to lead them to Christ and lead them to Christ and lead them to Christ. And this is how James finishes his book: Lead them to Christ. If they wonder, save them. Bring them back. I think that genuine faith in our lives, as we work it out, begins to look like that. Genuine faith basically cares about others and their salvation. Okay, so we have concluded the book of James. We've journeyed through all five chapters. It was a book written by the half-brother of Jesus, and it challenges us to really look at our faith. Is the faith that I say I have doesn't actually line up with Scripture, or are we following our own me theology and how we want it to look? Scripture's clear. The sanctified life looks radically different than what we tend to think it does. So if we profess Christ, We will be changed from the inside out and it will begin to look so much different. So my prayer for you is that the fruit of your life matches what we see in scripture. To profess Christ in words is one thing and to live radically different for Christ is yet another. So may we humbly consider what Christ would have us to do in light of his revealing word. It's before us. We can no longer say we didn't know. Right, whenever your kids say, I didn't know that that's what you wanted. And we sit there and go, yeah, you did. I didn't, it's, you heard me very clearly. You know, may we not get to to the great throne and God say, but you did. You just chose not to. Or you did know and well done striving to do it the best you could. Two very simple questions. I'm sorry, it's really one simple question. Are you a Christian? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? That's the only question that really matters. And if you answer yes to that question, then James says your life should start looking like this. Your speech, your thoughts, your actions, your plans, your prayers, does your life line up? And so if you're a Christian, then rejoice because you know what we're about to sing a song because we have been saved by the great king and then we're going to observe the lord's supper which reminds us that we've been saved by the great king and one day we're going to be standing before the great king but until we get there we are in training now and may we be stronger every single day and then if you answered i don't know if i'm a christian or no then just come visit with me after the service or with with someone you're comfortable with here um but But I think that it's not, do we believe God? It's will we live for him, right? We believe him. All his promises are true. We just don't live like it. What would it look like if we began to live by genuine faith? Lord God, we love you. I am thankful for the book of James, Lord, uh, as a church, to move through Galatians, to move through John and Titus, now James, and next, next week to begin to open Genesis. I get excited to know your word more, to be shaped by your word and challenged and convicted by it. Lord, conviction is a great thing. It's not comfortable, but it's a great thing because you show us what kind of people you would have us to be, so that we don't waste our lives. Lord, I pray for all of the cross-life believers, Lord, all the saints, as you call them in Scripture. Lord, I pray that you give them the strength, the endurance, and the joy to follow hard after you. And to really try and live their life in a way that honors you and builds your kingdom. And for those who who are not Christians, or who either they're they're gathering with us or they're listening uh, through podcasts, and they cannot confidently say, Yes, I am a Christian, Lord, would you move them? And would you sovereignly cross their paths with someone who can lead them towards salvation? And Lord, give us the strength that if that comes to us, the joy, the strength, and the endurance to bring a wayward brother back home. Lord, you are good and gracious, and we love you. And we thank you for your word. And you are worthy of all praise. Amen.